you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of your career and life, to starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is the Own Your Career, Own Your Life podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. Are you an experienced professional who is looking to find purpose to drive you in the second half of your career? Well, this session is all about how to repurpose your career for those who have already been working for, say, 20 years plus. Hi, I'm Andy Storch, and I'm excited to introduce our next legendary speaker. Mark Miller is the founder of Career Pivot, which helps those in the second half of life design careers that they can grow into for the next 30 years. Mark is also the author of Repurpose Your Career, a practical guide for the second half of life and the host of the award-winning Repurpose Your Career podcast. Mark is a recovering engineer, a multi-potentialite, and a professional career changer as he has made six career pivots over the last 40 plus years. And he and his wife recently moved from the United States to become full-time expats in Mexico. Mark, thanks for being here. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here as well. You know, I think we hear a lot about what's going on with the great resignation and people moving around. And there's a lot of advice for people taking advantage of opportunities. But I feel like a lot of times that advice and the focus is on millennials and the younger workers and what they can be doing. And when, you know, I, I guess sometimes you look at them and think the world's their oyster, right? They're just kind of getting started out um, versus people who have been working for 20 plus years and people that you work with. Similar, there's tons of opportunities. But there's a lot different scenario, right? Because you're also coming off of a long career where it's maybe harder to make a change. There might be a lot more fear involved. Um, so what are you seeing out in the marketplace? And you know, how did you get into this space of, of working with people in the second half of their career? Well, let me, let me take the second half first. The way okay. I got into this was um, I had a traditional career. I worked for IBM for 22 years. Uh, in 1999, they screwed me in my pension. Uh, which turned out to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And I went to work for a successful tech star startup. And then July 11th of 2002, I had a near fatal bicycle accident. I hit a car head on at 50 miles an hour. Mm. And um, say the least, I lived. Yeah. I tore up a knee, I broke a hip, I dislocated a shoulder, broke a bunch of ribs, um, broke the clavicle, I had imprints of the pads, of the helmet in my head, but I had no internal injuries and no brain injuries I'm willing to admit to. Uh, I was also, uh, I was they, five days in the trauma center. They had me walking in crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks and I was flew back to China in four months. And I flew right into Guangdong province in, in Shenzhen in November of 2002, which was the epicenter of SARS V1. Mm. In other words, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was at that point in time, I had what we call a, um, a moment of clarity why the hell am I doing this? My son was gra had graduated from high school. His college education was funded. Um, and, and that is similar to what a lot of older folks, a lot of what I say, those in the second half of life are experiencing going through the pandemic. Yeah. I think we all have experienced that, but it's, it's a matter of going, why am I continuing to do the things I'm doing? And for me, I went off and taught high school math for a couple of years, couldn't do that and stay healthy, did nonprofit work for a year, realized I can't work for a nonprofit. 
Uh, then I did another startup, Life Size Communications, which is the predecessor to Zoom. Uh, and, and during that time, I was, I was involved, heavily involved in the job club. This is the, you know, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, where I realized that the assumption was all of us folks, you know, over 50, we're all going to go retire. Mm-hmm. And the reality is about 80% can't afford to retire. And we're living a lot longer. Right. So at this point, and this is one of the things is going back and reevaluating why am I doing what I'm doing? And one of the key pieces that a lot of people need to address is the mindset. Hmm. Right. I was raised to be an employee. I was supposed to go work for a father-like company that took, would take care of me, uh, which I did. I went to work for IBM. I mean, the Borg. Um, and, and the young kids don't get that metaphor. Right. <laughs> um, That's right. This is for the older crowd. <laughs> you know, yes, I was assimilated. Resistance was futile. Yeah. But the, the concept is, um, is learning how to shift your mindset from being an employee And even if you go work for someone else, shifting it so you are an entrepreneur. Mm. And we all know that's going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, looking at rather than saying a problem is a problem versus a problem is a challenge. Um, One of my favorite, I had had, um, Diane Winger on my podcast, and she always talks about the fact that you need to get started before you're ready. And I grew up in the generation where, by the way, it's not worth doing if you don't do it right. Well, if you wait until you're ready to do it right, you probably have 100 people in front of you doing it already. Yeah. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's learning how to take action. Um, and as I said, this pandemic has, I mean, it's thrown so much disruption in. Um, yeah. And we have, to, we have to realize that you know what, maybe what I did for the last 30 or 40 years either doesn't make any sense, my skills are no longer relevant, or I don't want to do that crap anymore. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's run a scenario. Let's speak to sure. someone who is 55 years old, right, has been working in their career, roughly the same line of work, let's say, for the last 32 years, something like that. And has woken up, you know, gotten through the pandemic and went, you know, I don't know if I really love what I'm doing. I'm not even sure what I'm doing, if this is really bringing me any value or joy. I think I'd like to do something different, but I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Well, you know, the first thing I always claim is number one, if you got, if you got a job and it's secure, keep doing it. Hmm. Okay. The second piece is one of the things I always used to work with people saying, okay, go back to your childhood. What were the things you did as a kid that she couldn't get enough of? Because we didn't have all these filters, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for me, it was jigsaw puzzles, hmm. right? I, and I look at my career. I've spent my career as a pattern matcher, whether it's telecommunications, technology. Um, and I even do that with personality assessments. I can, I can see the patterns. Um, that's a valuable lesson. And then what you need to do is start experimenting. Uh, it was Diane Wood David who wrote the book Future Proof. 
Again, who's on my podcast talked she has a chapter in a book called experimenting with your career hmm. start side gigs hmm. low risk and see whether you even like doing it this is the challenge a lot of times i was just i'm in the encore career network right now and i was in, in a session here this morning and where uh, we were discussing encore careers, and sometimes it's taking a hobby and turning it into into your career. Well, sometimes you take a hobby and turn it into your career, and it sucks. Right, it's not so fun when you have to make money from it. Well, or 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 like I I used to rebuild cars when I was young and stupid. Hmm. I, I used to rebuild Fiats and Triumphs and all kinds of stuff and Hondas. And I had a good buddy who was twenty years older than me who is a master mechanic, but if he had to do it for somebody else rather than himself, he hated it. Hmm. He did that once or twice said, Nope, not doing that. Um, so it's, it's getting in there and experimenting as to what you're going to like. So that's that it, it's, there's no straight line. One of the things yeah. I've discovered, we are all so different. Yeah. But one of the things you have to be willing to do is try stuff and fail. Mm. Be willing to fail. Yeah. And it looks like you, you did that quite a bit in your career. And the interesting thing is, I think people look at that for themselves and think, well, if I try this and I fail, that's going to be terrible. It's going to look bad to people when the, the truth is it's not bad at all. We just heard about all the things that you did in your career. And I'm sure there was more. Right. Oh. And I don't think anybody thinks any, probably admire you for trying different things. So I hear this mantra, you know, all the time that's like, follow your passion or, you know, whatever it is. But I, I love this idea of following your curiosity. And it sounds like you're, you're big on that as well. Yeah. I mean, you need to try things. I mean, um, good example. When I was uh, near my IBM career, I went off and did a one-year stint in IBM global services consultant. My one and only project was working on a point of sale solution for a short-term loan company, pawn shops. Sorry, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And I worked with unhappy married people, unhappy single people, unhappy divorced people. Hmm. Wow. I hated that. But by the way, I learned a lot. Uh, I learned how the consulting business worked. Um, but, you know, the whole, I always claim is walk in with a plan B measure, see how long you're going to keep on doing this. Um, if you're going to, if you fail, hope you learn something for, from it. Hmm. And so the old, and, and the other piece is don't wait too long. So the concept of fail forward, fail fast is really important. Yeah. And the times where I have failed and I quickly made the decision this wasn't, this wasn't going to work. And I made my plans. I, I put my plan B in place. The sooner I did that, the better I did. Hmm. Now I grew up in the generation where you remember the mantra, Apollo 13 failure is not an option. Right. It, when I was growing up in the sixties and seventies, if you were a failure, if you failed, you were a screw up. You're a failure. Yeah. Define your failure. Right. And, and that's, that model has changed so much. But by the way, a lot of those messages that we had as kids are still in there. 
I was going to say, well, also, you know, the time you grew up in the 60s and 70s, even well into when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was accepted and kind of the rule that you pick a career and you you stick with it for as long as possible until you retire, right? And that yep. changed over time. And now I think that's completely gone, right? You see younger workers that work someplace two or three years, okay, I'm ready to go try something else and it's perfectly acceptable. But for someone who grew up in that era, 60s, 70s, like you said, that, that, that lesson is still there. It's hard to shift that mindset. Do you help people like, how do you help people get past that to say it's okay to go try something else? Well, one, one of the things I do in my online community is, is, is have an online community and we run mastermind groups and people see people tr- doing stuff and they go, what you can do that really? Because the fact is there's so many different ways of making money now. Yeah. Um, you know, and in, in, in when you see examples and people trying stuff, and these are not, you know, these are not people who, you know, are on TV and on, you know, you know, on, you know, internet stars, right. you know, they're, these are ordinary people, regular people like you and me, just regular people. And they're doing stuff and you go, oh, you can do that. It's kind of like one of the things when you say, okay, I want to go do this is to get on LinkedIn and find people what I call who look, taste, and smell like you, Hmm. who have the same background, maybe the same age, gender, ethnicity, and start looking for people with your background who are doing what you want to do and go, how'd you do that? Yeah. Or what the possibilities are. I had, I had a really interesting one. This is a real outlier. Guy calls me up. He'd been, um, he'd been in Africa for 10 years, uh, translating Bibles into obscure languages. Hmm. He had a PhD in linguistics. He had to come back to the U.S. And he, um, uh, his son or wife, somebody had a health condition. And he's going, what do I do now? I said, get on LinkedIn, look for people with linguistic PhDs five years earlier and five years after you from probably some of the top universities, search their profiles for theology, religion. And obviously he was translating Bibles. So the Mm -hmm. theological side was real important to him Yeah, and go, what are they doing? Yeah. Right. And it's, it's looking for, um, you know, examples of what is possible. Um, in my book, I've got a chapter on what I call MSU disorder. And MSU stands for make stuff up. Right. Right. When we don't know, we tend to fill the void in our head with mm. stuff we make up versus going, okay, oh, if I do this, someone will react this way. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, you don't know that. Yeah. You don't know (laughs) until you go ask people and you, you see what's going on. Right. Um, The other thing I wanted to ask you, um, you know, going back to, we'll say that person who's 55 or whatever age in in that range, right. Who is thinking, okay, I want to make a change. I've always been passionate about this thing over here. I loved it when I was a kid and I kind of want to try it out, but it's really going to require me to to kind of start over, right? Yep. Maybe make less money, take more of a, you know, possibly like an entry level type role. Um, but I don't know how that's going to look. And 
you know, do I, am I competing against people who are 20 years younger than me? Am I going to get through the interview process? I'm, I'm sure you get these questions as well. Like, how do you approach this? A lot of times it's not about trying to become an employee. Hmm. It's again, it's trying to do this on your own in a sidekick. Okay. Right. One of the challenges, one of the things, one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is obviously with the great quit, we have number of people quitting like crazy. Yeah. At the same time, we have double the normal number of people retiring. Hmm. And we have more IRS tax IDs issued than in, in the last 18 months than any time in history. Hmm. Right. There are more people starting businesses. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. So you're going, okay, what does that mean? Some of these people are actually doing startups. Some are setting up, you know, um, side gigs. Some are actually setting up like, like I did. I set up a consulting business. It's a solopreneurship. And, you know, as we, by the way, it's one of the questions I'm trying to get answered. When we start looking at this huge amount of number of people quitting, how many of those are 55 plus? Mm. By the way, over 50, I believe it's 55 to 60% of all the tax IDs have been issued, have been issued to somebody 50 and older. Okay. Right. But these are people that are saying, okay, this is a time to, to, to look at what I've been doing with my career. I've always dreamed of running my own business or doing consulting, whatever. Maybe it's time to give that a shot. Or maybe I want to go try this. Yeah. And maybe it's, it's kind of like uh, right now, I see a lot of people, I've been talking to a lot of job club leaders. And one of the things they're seeing is as people, the people who are older and going back to work, a lot of them are going back as contractors, hmm. which given this time in the economy makes perfect sense when there's a lot of uncertainty and we've never lived a time of more uncertainty yeah. um, is the fact that they are unlikely to hire employees, but they're willing to hire contractors. So go try it, take it, do it, um, and and start looking at how do I how do I go do this, and more important, do I even like it? Hmm. You know, I went off to teach high school math. By the way, I was really good. I taught in inner city high school. Hmm. I had convinced myself I was an extrovert. <laughs> I'm not. I'm a big time introvert. After two years, I was burned out. Hmm. I was, you know, you know, when I was a public speaker, you know, doing lots of conferences and briefings, I'd be, you know, talking three, four hours a week. Yeah. When you're teaching high school math, you're doing 30 hours a week. It's a lot. <laughs> right. And I was exhausted. Well, I couldn't do it. I was good at it. Right. But you explored it. You gave it a yes. shot, right? You, yes. You I gave it my it. shot. Um, and, and the other key piece here is you're going to need a support system. Hmm. Family, spouse, friends. Um, you know, if you can find accountability partners and other people who will, who, when you fail, that will help you and pick you up. Yeah. Um, cause this is hard. And doing it all inside your head is really hard. And yeah, you're at times you're going to fail and you need people to be able to tell you, wow, 
that's a really dumb idea and here's why. But at the same time, you have to make sure and surround yourself with people who will be, you know, encouraging. You'll always find people going, oh, that's a stupid idea because I wouldn't do that. That's, that's too risky. Mm. Right. And one of the things that we have to, you have to look at is risk because I've done things in my career. Yeah. That I thought were very risky and they weren't risky at all. Then there are other things I did, like I went on that bike ride, um, which my wife knew was a horrible road. Mm. And I'm just going, I'm just going with my bike club. It was incredibly risky. I didn't look at it as being risky. Yeah. Um, but then again, I look at other career decisions I've made, leaving IBM when I did. Nah, what I did wasn't risky at all. I went, I went to work for a startup that was very near, was, was about to be acquired for a buttload of money. And yeah. So, right. And I, and I can look back on that in hindsight, how I looked at it versus the reality and learning how to both evaluate risk and how to mitigate it. Which something when I was, I grew up, yeah, my father was a World War II veteran. Uh, both my parents grew up through the Depression. You want to talk about risk averse? That was embedded in my brain. Mm. Yeah. And I've had to get over that. Right. And it was for many people, right? And so it's, it's yep. a mindset shift. It's, it's yep. looking at those risks saying, is this really that big of a risk or is it not? Like you said, getting the yep. feedback from the right people and knowing you don't have to listen to them if they, you know, it's not something they would do, but maybe it's something you want to do or you feel called to do. Um, speaking of that, last thing I want to ask you about is, uh, you know, speaking of making big moves in 2018, you and your wife uh, moved down to Mexico, right? As expats. Yep. And yep. this is something I've always, you know, romanticized about. And we've, ch we've chatted about it in the past. Um, can you talk me through the process of thinking through and, and making that move? And I'm sure you talk to other people who have been thinking about it as well. Sure. And by the way, I teach a course on amava.com on how to ah. be an expert. Um, but the, the key piece there is the, what drove us was health insurance. And I, <clears throat> I've worked in 40 different countries. I, I can culturally integrate anywhere. I mean, I trained engineers in China. Um, which is probably the most difficult cultural thing I've ever done. But my wife has not. So, um, and we thought for years that we would become an expat and my, my employer would move me overseas and yeah. that never happened. And then on October of 2016, I got my October surprise, which has nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. Um, my health insurance exploded, went up 80%. Mm. And so we started exploring and we started dating places. In other words, going someplace for eight, 10, 12 days, decide whether we liked it. We tried Ecuador. My wife couldn't handle the altitude. We went to San Miguel de Allende in, in Mexico. Didn't like that. Too many expats. Um, and we eventually came upon Ahihi and this is a huge expat community, but it, um, we liked it. So we came down for two weeks. Okay. Then we came back, uh, four months later for a month. 
all the time I'm experimenting on, can I run my business here? How do I do this? Can we, uh, we start visiting, my wife starts visiting doctors. Um, we get a, an immigration lawyer and start figuring out all the things that we need to do. Then we come back for three months. And at that point, we pulled the trigger, drove back to Austin, emptied out our condo, put it up for rent. And uh, we moved to Ahihi, uh, renting a place. We've now been here three and a half years. And if you would have told me three and a half years ago, or sort of five years ago, that I would be in, in Mexico and my wife is incredibly happy. If you go check my podcast, I interviewed my wife earlier this year. Um, I would have told you, you were smoking something. And yes, you were inhaling. Um, and you better have been doing it in a state where it's legal. And But it's like, no, this is very much of an experiential experience. I mean, it's very experiential decision. And for, like for my wife is we're, uh, we're four blocks from Lake Chapala, which is the largest lake in Mexico. We're at 5,000 feet. The lake is, sur is surrounded by mountains that go to 9,000 feet. My wife on the, on the trails up the mountain, that's her happy spot, right? She actually will sometimes go up. There's a chapel trail. She'll go above the chapel and she has a tree up there. She calls her mother from. And one of the things you quickly find is you don't know what's going to make you happy until you go experience it. Right. Right. So, um, and as we talked before, this is we're recording this in October. Uh, the day after this recording, we cl finally close on a house uh, here in Ahihi, um, which I never thought we would do. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that we've kind of gone, we've been very, very flexible as we've gone through this. Yeah. And in all of my travels, the one thing you learn, the more you, the more you go other places and experience different cultures, the more you learn about your own culture. Mm -hmm. It's similar learning another language. You learn more about your own language. Yeah, absolutely. You learn a lot about everything. And I, I yeah. just want to say that I, I appreciate the approach that you took, you know, experimenting, trying different places, going for 12 days and then three months and then moving in and now buying the house. It'll aligns with what you're saying about finding the next profession, the next career, the next job, whatever it is that you're going to be doing next that you don't have to go all in on something it doesn't require a big change, you know, out of the blue. It's really thinking through it, figuring out what you want to do and then experimenting, trying different things. As you said, fail forward, fail fast, start a side gig, a side hustle, side job, whatever it may be. Um, you know, a little company that you can run on the side and see if you like it, if you want to go all in on it. Um, it's about incremental changes, right? It doesn't have yep. to be a big, big, scary thing. Um, Mark, this has been fantastic. We got to wrap it up, but I know there's going to be people listening who want to, get in touch with you and find out more about what you do. And if that's the case, where do they go? Uh, go to careerpivot.com, hit the contact me button. Uh, you can also, you'll find the button up there to subscribe to the, to the news, the career insights newsletter. You can sign up to join my waiting list for the, um, uh, for my com online community. 
And of course, go to the Repurpose Your Career podcast, which now is almost at 250 episodes. Uh, so we've been doing this for a while. Uh, yeah. So you have. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much, Mark. And, you know, we covered a lot of ground in this interview. We talked about how you got into um, the coaching and uh, space that you're in now, the different careers that you had, where you addressed the mindset that people have about holding them back, uh, how to get started if you want to make a pivot uh, later in your career, uh, shifting and taking more of an entrepreneur's mindset. We talked about moving from a fix to a growth mindset, turning challenges into opportunities. Um, you know, start by you talked about starting with experimentation, right? Trying different things, experimenting, fail forward, fail fast, the importance of following your curiosity and, and trying different things. We said going to LinkedIn and finding what other people are doing that may have your experience or doing the thing that you want to do. Um, you said, when we don't know, we tend to make stuff up. So we need to go actually find out the information. You talked about the importance of having a great support system, um, getting feedback and looking at risks levels. And we talked about how to be an expat, how to move to another country if you want to do that as well. So this has been fantastic. Thank you for being here. For those watching, listening at home, thank you so much for being here. I hope you took some notes. I hope you got some great value out of this. If you did, make sure you write it down, set some goals, put a plan together, take some action. That's what this is all about. Reach out to Mark if you want more help. Thank you again, and we'll see you on the next session.